Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another episode of the Nosebleeds Podcast. Take two here. Uh, Mo Calamari here with Anthony Bartiromo and Andrew Canary. A lot of baseball going on. We haven't had any games, but still a ton to talk about with the All-Star Weekend just passing. Earlier this week, we had the Home Run Derby. We had the All-Star Game. Had a bit of a day off. Now baseball's back today, so a great time for us to have this episode. And I know, Andrew, this is your first time doing a podcast, so I'll open up to you first. How are you doing? Excited to have you on the nosebleeds. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, it's a great day outside. Well, actually, it was a little hot out, um, starting to uh, rain. But honestly, that you know, the whole All-Star Week um, was awesome. I was able to watch it with a couple friends, a couple family. Um, I actually saw the home run derby with uh, my family, which was awesome. And that all capped off with the, uh, the captain uh, documentary that came out uh, yeah. um, on Monday. I completely forgot to mention that. That's like, that was probably my highlight for baseball of the week. So I'm, I'm happy you at least mentioned that it, it was an amazing yeah. documentary. So I'm excited. I think the next episode's actually tonight. Yeah, I'm a huge film buff, so it was awesome to check out. I mean, it's the merging of, you know, one of my new favorite sports and film. It, what could have been better, honestly? It was great to, you know, take a deep dive into Derek Jeter's story and, you know, see how he uh, turned out to be. Yeah, so super excited to, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about that episode, but all the other stuff you mentioned, the All-Star Weekend, the game, the Home Run Derby, and then we're also going to preview some teams for the second half. You know, you know we're here in New York, so we're going to preview the Yankees, preview the Mets, but before we get to all that, Anthony, also excited to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, All-Star Weekend was great. Would have been better for a three-peat, but, uh, you know, can't win them all. We're just looking forward to the second half. And, uh, you know, hopefully a stretch. He can win MVP. It's possible. So it's, it's funny you mentioned the three-peat, obviously talking about Pete Alonso at the Home Run Derby. You know, I, I thought it was – I, I want to just – I guess we'll start right here, but I want to start a discussion. I think it's hilarious how, you know, Pete Alonso is doing deadlifts and he's meditating in the batting cage. <laughs> Meanwhile, you got like, you know, Ronald Acuna dancing up. I know he beat him, but you have Acuna dancing up, you know, Julio Rodriguez, the rookie, he's able to, you know, carry that swagger and beat take down Pete Alonso. But besides that storyline, just anything you took away, I'll go to you, Andrew, first from the home run derby, you know, what was your favorite part maybe of it? And then how, how do you think this helps the game of baseball, you know, grow it to that younger generation? Well, I think it's just a really exciting time for anybody because it really takes a step back from, I guess, the uh, monotony of baseball. It really adds like kind of just a fun aspect. But the biggest takeaways I really had was Albert Pujols having that huge upset, being a legacy pick, honestly, and uh, upsetting Kyle Schwarber in the first round. And uh, also J-Rod, he got, I think he got over 63 homers in the first two rounds alone. It was insane. Honestly, just seeing that showcase of ability. Um was amazing, honestly. And then the uh, finish with Juan Soto winning it, it was uh, honestly all around really fun event. And it really shows the new age of uh, baseball that's up and coming and just how exciting it could really be, I feel like. Yeah, I agree completely, really. Um, I feel like this is a great way to, uh, as you said, you know, make the game a little more entertaining than just monotony of baseball, you know, because so many people just find baseball boring and can't watch a full nine inning game. So I think that this is a great way to uh, really make it more entertaining. 
And I think I really like that rule change they made a few years back when uh, they made the time, they made it a timer instead of the uh, 10 outs. Because I remember watching those first uh, home run derbies with the 10 outs. Those were just boring. Everyone was taking pitches, you know. It took like, it took like five minutes, 10 minutes for uh, one round. And the guy finished with like five, six home runs. You know, that just got boring after a while. So I think this is a great, uh, much better system for it. And, you know, you get guys like J-Rod hitting 60 home runs in two rounds as a rookie, you know. J-Rod's here, and he's here to stay. So, Yeah, I feel like they kind of killed the home run derby system. You think back to when it was 10 outs, guys were, you know, taking pitches, like you said. But the other big thing I thought was what it came down to was, like, how good of an eye you had instead of just, like, in the moment, like, reflexes. And, like, you could have waited for your pitch the whole round and – done a great job so I, I like that now there is more dependence on the bp thrower to give you a good chance and i think the big storyline was that pete alonzo's batting practice thrower was not his this season although he was the previous two times that he had won the home run derby so there's definitely a lot to do with what kind of bp thrower you have but I, it's a team event i kind of like that and listen i think they're killing it with the home run derby you look at the individual totals julio rodriguez 81 home runs and he loses that's the only thing where it's like, it's tough. Like Juan Soto, 53, and he wins it all. But Julio Rodriguez, he hits 81 home runs and he doesn't win it. Like he was by far the best home run, uh, home run hitter that we saw, at least on that day, even though Soto was able to, you know, eventually come away with the win. Uh, that's just another thing that like, you can't control that. That's like putting up, you know, March Madness, you dominate, you blow out your first three teams and then you throw, you know, a stinker up in game four, you know, that's going to happen. That's how the tournament's built. So I guess that, just adds to the level of excitement. But I like how in comparison to the dunk contest in the NBA, which is, I think, the comparison you usually get, stars are coming out to play for the home run derby. And to see the best home run hitters in the league be able to battle it out versus the dunk contest where you just don't have that, I think that's what makes this so special for the game of baseball. Right, 100%. You know, it would have been a little bit more entertaining to see, you know, Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, but still. You guys, you got Pete Alonso, guys like him, you know, Kyle Schwarber, of course. They're always playing, you know. They're, uh, you always got some big names, big storylines in there. So I think that kind of separates itself from the dunk contest. But, you know, you guys, you want to see like Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon again, but they're just simply not going to do it again. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's even better also that we see everyday players in the home run derby because then it adds to the fan base where, Say they see uh, first-time fancies, um, Julio Rodriguez, you know, hits 63 homers, 80 homers in a single home run derby. They're going to be like, hey, I want to tune in to go see those games now. So it increases viewership, and I feel like it's, again, a really great thing for the sport. Yeah, I, I had a, a blast watching it. It was probably one of my favorite home run derbies in a while because I felt like the Alonzo storyline was actually, you know, kind of a factor. We know how much he loves to win the home run derby. You also have the prize money, Julio Rodriguez. He's getting $700,000 a year, but he's got a chance to almost double his salary with a million dollars or not even almost double it or more. So I think those storylines make this like people want to win and you notice that that's what makes it so fun. And talk about the other thing in the all-star break, the all-star game was another amazing thing for me to watch. You had some great pitching. You got some key home runs, John Carlos Stanton winning the all-star MVP, the AL beats the NL three to two. You got to love the players being mic'd up. There was so much to love about, I feel like, this all-star game, and it made a fun atmosphere, but also a competitive one. So I really enjoyed it. And AL now a nine all-star game win streak. So they've won since they've won every all-star game since 2013. Not really much to talk about here, but Andrew, I'll go to you first again. 
you know, just what were your thoughts? Was there something that stood out to you? One of your, maybe a favorite moment at the all-star game that you yeah. noticed? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you talked about a little bit earlier, um, the, you know, players being mic'd up. I thought that was awesome. I thought it was really, really uh, cool to, you know, kind of just get an inside look on the players as they're playing the game. Um, I remember one specific moment when Alec Manoa was on the round, uh, on the mound. He was asking um, the uh, commentators what pitch to actually throw, and uh, he ended up throwing a slider, one of his signature pitches. I thought that was super cool. Um, but also, yeah, it was just a defensive display and also offensive display on both sides. Um, I also, I'm a huge Nestor Cortez fan, so I was really having fun watching his uh, funky timing up on the mound. Um, I would say those are my biggest takeaways, honestly. It's a really fun game. Yeah, I feel like the miking up definitely helps a lot because in general, uh, contrary to what you thought, Mike, I thought the game was kind of boring, honestly. You know, a 3-2 game, not too much offense, but uh, the miking up definitely helped because, you know, just like as I said before, like young kids, they don't want to watch a nine-inning baseball game. You know, they find that boring. Miking up, it definitely help, brings more of the uh, humanism, humanism. I don't even know if that's a word, but uh, that definitely brings that to the game. And it shows that, like, these players are just like us, you know. They're just having, they're just having fun messing around in this game and, you know, talk to the broadcasters. Uh, Alec Manoa was definitely great, you know. And uh, I feel like that's just the biggest takeaway for me and uh, how you're, they're really trying to get to the broader generation, the younger kids these days. Yeah, I, I love the mic and up and uh, see the difference between, I, maybe, I guess, me and you, Anthony, is I love the pitchers. I love watching a pitcher's duel three to two. I know you don't get to see the same pitcher every time, but watch guys who have been great all season, able to dominate on the mound. Nestor was probably my favorite part of it, watching him and Trevino go back and forth, and then Trevino gets the base hit uh, as well while being mic'd up. I loved seeing all of that. So I had a blast watching the three two game. The biggest gripe I have with the all-star game is that they don't wear their own jerseys. I think that's the biggest yes, thing. Definitely. I want to see Aaron judge in pinstripe. I want to see Jose Trevino, Nestor Cortez in pinstripes. I want to see, you know, pick another uniform. I want to see a Chicago cub in that, you know, Navy blue and red piping and lettering. I want to see, you know, that in my opinion. And I think that's something that we've kind of lost over the years. I know it's a commercialism. I know it's a, I mean, you know, it's a business and they want to make money on the all-star game Jersey, but that would be the biggest thing for me. Have them play in their own jerseys, the home and the ways, the whites and the grays, whatever you want to do. And maybe the, the whites and the alternates. So you get different colors on the other side of things. That would be my favorite thing to see next in the all-star game. And I guess we'll turn it into this. Andrew, I'll let you go first. Is there something you want to maybe see in the all-star game? Maybe you agree with me, or maybe you have something different or maybe a change you want to see on the whole weekend throughout? Honestly, I would like to, I agree with the Jersey thing. Honestly, I, I thought the jerseys were all right. I they were kind of cool. I kind of liked how they worked in the logo into the hat, you know, for team specific players. But honestly, I kind of agree with you. I kind of like, I want to see judge in the pinstripes. I want to see, you know, Toronto blue Jays jersey. I'm a no, I want to see all that good stuff. Um, but also I think they should really lean heavily into uh, the personalities of the players by, you know, continuing to mic them up. I really love that part of this game. And I think if they keep following up on that, it's going to create these superstars that have personalities behind them. And uh, I think that's awesome for the sport. Yeah. I think that um, the jerseys are definitely a big part of it, but something I'd like to see is the uh, reinventing the fan voting system. You know, you see guys like Ty France who took like eight tries to get him to the home run into the all-star game. He should have started there. He had the best stats out of any first base in the American League. I think that he should have started. I think that, uh, you know, no Mets bias here, but I think that Francisco Lindor should have made it. Brandon Nimmo was another opportunity, another guy who could have made it. And uh, I feel like he's just getting overshadowed by these guys 
who are just big names. Like Ronald Acuna Jr., yeah, he's having a great year, but guys are having better years than him. I don't think that he necessarily deserved to start, but I feel like, um, you know, it's turned into a popularity contest sort of, which is good for the game, good for, uh, you know, getting fans to care about baseball. But in a way, you know, some of these guys who are never going to get an opportunity to be an all-star, they're getting overshadowed by these big names every year. And that's kind of a problem in my eyes. Yeah, so I, I really agree with that. That's a great point, uh, Anthony. I think that that's probably one of the bigger problems with the game. And I'll give you a perfect example of someone who should have been an all-star and wasn't. Josh Bell, Washington National. Uh, Definitely. And he, he's probably having a, a close to MVP season. He's got 50 RBIs to 311 batting average, a touch under 900 OPS with 13 home runs. He could conceivably end the year if he gets hot with 30 bombs, 100 RBIs, and a 300-plus batting average. I don't know how you see that and you don't induct him into the All-Star game. I understand first base is a tough position to get in. We saw Freddie Freeman not even get in at first. I believe he eventually did get in, but that was just the, the how the, the game turns out. There's a lot of great first basemen in the NL. But in my opinion, to see his teammate Juan Soto get in, who has turned around heading into the All-Star break. But at the time he had gotten elected, he had not been having a great season. He was hitting under 250. His OPS was still good because of how much he gets on base. But the power numbers weren't there now. You look at his stats now, 20 home runs. He leads the MLB in walks. And he's got a 901 OPS. But what I'm saying is at the time he was elected, those were not even close to what his numbers were. And Bell was clearly the better player on the Nationals, at least for that portion of a season. So I do agree with that. I think they need to tinker a little bit with the fan voting system. And I know the coaches vote in the substitutes and reserves, I'm pretty sure, but I still think there needs to be a more given to players who stand out and are at deep positions so they can still get in. I think a lot of that also has to do to the rule that one player has to get in from each team. And sometimes no team has a great player, but you're still going to have to bring someone in, but those are all, you know, different things that they can maybe adjust the all-star game. But I think we can all agree that it was a positive, all-star weekend but there were a few things that you could not help but ignore and i want to start with this storyline first before we get to the next aaron judge had some comments at the all-star game i think at the red carpet he also made some um on the field ahead of the game where you know reporters asked him you know if he was going to stay in new york what he would say to fans if he had left and all these different questions and one answer he said you know i want to be a new york yankee for a long time that's my goal it's never been about the money and another question, he basically said, you know, if you're a fan and you're disappointed to see me leave, I hope you're a Judge fan for a while. And there's a lot of good Yankee fans, uh, excuse me, a lot of good Yankees players to root for. So we kind of got a, a bit of a mixed message by Aaron Judge, whether he might stay or leave. And I'll go to you, Anthony, first. Does this mean any anything to you? Does it worry you if you're a Yankee fan? Or do you just feel like this is Judge finding the best way to answer a question? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a mix of both. Um... First of all, I hated that question when the when the reporter. I thought it was an awful question. I'd have to. Yeah, it's like I don't want to put you on the spot, but are you going to sign next? Are you going to sign this offseason? Like, and it was like like this little kid, like he he loves you so much, he wants you to stay Yankee. I'm like, this guy's got to do what's best for his life, for his career. What does he want to do? He can't be worried about some random twelve year old that wants him to stay. I thought yeah. it's I'll let you go in a second, but I thought that was a really bad question. I felt bad for judge. Cause you saw him pause after they asked it. it. It didn't seem like he had a good way to answer that. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are you supposed to respond to that when, you know, you're on the field for all-star game and you get this little 12 year old kid who's like, are you going to sign back with us? Like, come on. I feel like that's in that moment, he was kind of just like 
you know, at a loss for words, had no idea what to say. So he was just like, he said the first thing that came to his mind. But, um, you know, in a real sense, if I was a Yankees fan, I guess this would worry me a good amount, you know, because we don't know what's going on in Judge's mind. He could have a, he could have a decision set already. You know, we know that him and the Yankees are pretty far in agreement with uh, their contract. And we know that the Yankees have kind of a history of not paying their stars. But um, I feel like this could, uh, that was a big interview. You know, that was a big moment for Judge's decision and for Yankees fans. So, uh, you know, I have no idea where he's going to sign. You know, as a Mets fan, I'd be fine if he doesn't sign with the Yankees, you know. But uh, I don't know. It's a lot. Well, I would definitely say as a Yankees fan, I would really hope he resigns. Um, but I think, honestly, he did the best that he could with a bad question. I mean, I think that was like, they teed him up to give him probably the, uh, you know, the hardest, you know, come up with the hardest answer possible, honestly. Um, he was in a bad situation there. And I think he kind of gave like a on the fence answer um, that doesn't really go either way. Um, which honestly, I think it was probably a choice, you know, why he chose to do that was because he's still in negotiations with the Yankees. And I don't necessarily think that really says if he's leaving or staying. So personally, I'm not too worried about the comment, but I see him more as just kind of like him trying to stay on the fence and also avoid a very touchy question, especially asked by a 12 year old, you know? Yeah. I, I don't even know if the kid was 12. I just said that, but I think it was about like some young kid. Yeah, I, I found that a ridiculous question. I hope Judge stays as a Yankee fan myself. I think he will. I really do think he will. Even with the, you know, the tax in New York, we understand that is sometimes a factor with these players leaving. Um, the potential he could get more money elsewhere. I think if he gets 10 years, it doesn't matter how much money because he can build his brand in New York and pinstripes as a Yankee better than he can anywhere. And I think he knows that. He knows how much being a Yankee has meant for him. And I think he wants to keep it that way. And I think he could be a, you know, an all-time Yankee. I think he'll become a captain if he, if he resigns. He knows all that. I'm not worried about it. I'm worried about the Yankees' front office and what they do. That's where my concern is, not about what judge decision-making is. I think he wants to be a Yankee. It's really just up to the house Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman. But moving on to the other news, not really in New York, but it could be depending on where the star player lands. Juan Soto has most recently turned down $440 million. Uh, by the Washington Nationals. I think the deal was spread out over 15 years. So the AAV was really not that high compared to some other players, but he was going to get 440 guaranteed for a very long time. The other big news with that was that his agent confirmed the Washington Nationals did not send him on a private chart. He had to fly commercial to the home run derby. So they're shopping him. They're going to try to get rid of him before that uh, early August trade deadline. And they're going to try to find a, uh, a suitor that would be best for the Nationals. They're looking for a haul, I think, of ready-made MLB players or top-of-the-line prospects. The Mets and Yankees are both rumored to be teams interested in talking with the Washington Nationals. Anthony, I'll go to you first because you're a Mets fan. Does it interest you to see Juan Soto in New York, maybe a Yankee or a Met? And what team do you think is the best situation for him to go to? Yeah, I mean, this is huge news. You know, I don't think we've ever seen a player – who has the trade asset valuable valuability as Juan Soto, you know, he can be the most, the most valuable trade asset of all time. You know, we're looking at a 23 year old phenom and uh, I would love to see him as a Met, obviously. And um, I feel like the Mets have a more like one of the better packages, you know, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, maybe even throw in a couple MLB players and Mauricio as well. Um, and plus this guy, he's got two and a half years of team control. You know, we're not looking at just a one year rental. 
So I feel like this could be a huge trade. Um, the Mets definitely have a good package, but the Yankees as well, you know, they got, uh, what's his name? Oswald Peraza, um, Jason Dominguez, and um, there's one other guy I'm forgetting about. Volpe. But what was that? Volpe, the shortstop. And, Volpe, uh, yeah. In yeah. Somerset or Trenton right now, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of them have very good hauls for Soto. And then, you know, you can't sleep on the Dodgers, of course. They're going to get everyone. But um, I feel like if you're in the Yankees or Mets front office, you have to try your best, you know. An opportunity like this doesn't come along very often. And, you know, if you just let this go and save your farm system, you know, some other team is going to get that advantage over you. And you just can't let that happen, you know. You're having one of the best years of your, of your history, and you're just going to let this phenom walk away or go to a different team. I mean, for yourself, for your own sake, you have to try your best to get Soto. That's just my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think they're, I think both the Yankees and the Mets are presented, like you said, with a really awesome opportunity. I mean, I think this is really like a once in a lifetime or once every, you know, couple of decades chance that we see where, you know, a player at this caliber really goes on the market. Um, but that being said, though, um, would it be worth it for the Yankees to trade away all those prospects um, to get one? So, yes, he is amazing. Um, but since we're trading it in this theoretical trade, Peraza, Volpe, a couple of other prospects, um, that's a big ask. I mean, granted, he is a major player and also that dream outfield of, you know, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stan, Juan Soto, that's, you know, something I could only dream of right now. It would be amazing. Um, but also I go back to, is it worth it? You know, um, that's why I'm still kind of on the fence. I would like to hear your opinion, Mike, honestly. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm definitely mixed about this situation. I like that he has two and a half years of team control. So if you trade for Juan Soto, if you're the Yankees, then you have him for two and a half years, maybe to get you over the edge. But I think it doesn't really affect the judge contract, but if you're going to re-sign judge long-term, it's going to affect re-signing Soto. Do the Yankees want to be at mercy for that much money for that long period of time with John Carl Stanton already under contract for quite a while? I think that's presents the most problems in my opinion where I get a little worried if you're the Yankees, I think the Mets are a better landing spot because they're in more of a position to re-sign him and they need the power like Soto. In my opinion, the Yankees, I like Volpe and I don't want to trade him. He's the one guy where I don't want to see included in a Soto deal. I think I can live with it. If it's Dominguez, I think I can live with it. If it's Peraza, but for me, Volpe seems like that kind of talent, the same way Jeter was where he could be the starting shortstop for the Yankees, a position they really need for a long period of time. So if it means giving a Volpe, I'm not doing it if I'm the Yankees. So that's that's currently where I stand on the situation. If you're the Mets, I see it more. I think the Padres are a great spot for him. You pair him with Tatis, I think he would really like to re-sign there. So it's a really good situation for him. So I, I think that's really good if he can land in San Diego, just as a baseball fan. And if the Yankees can try to find a way to swing him without getting rid of Volpe, I think that's a very comfortable situation but you can't forget the Yankees 13 games ahead in the AL East returning back from the all-star break they have two games set against the Astros today so we're going to learn a lot more about where they stand in the AL after today if they can really hang with the Astros or not but we're recording before then so we're really going to give you our second half preview of the Yankees before we get to the Mets and uh, Andrew I'll go to you first you look at this Yankees team 13 games ahead it seems like they've done a great job against the division the entire year. Is there any worry that they lose this lead in the division? And how comfortable are you seeing this team heading into the playoffs? Um, honestly, I'm 
pretty confident going into the second half of the season. Um, I think that we're a great hitting team. Um, pitching has been so, so, but honestly, I think we've been pretty consistent. Um, and defensively, we've been all there, I feel like. So honestly, I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Um, as long as maybe by the trade deadline, we figure out something pitching wise, I'm feeling really, really optimistic about the second half of the season. I mean, I think um, the team morale uh, is great going into the second half of the season, especially after All-Star Weekend, Giancarlo winning the MVP. Um, I think that's a big morale boost, especially having, you know, Nestor Cortez, Clay Holmes, Garrett Cole all there. I think it's really set up for an awesome second half of the season. I think it's going to be um, explosive. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. I think that the, the main issue for the Yankees isn't making the playoffs or winning the division. It's about once you're in the playoffs, facing teams like the Astros, the Rays, uh, twins are not really a threat, but um, I feel like you know, they still need that one more piece. You know, maybe a guy like Luis Castillo, David Robertson for the bullpen. Um, and another thing, they need to get rid of Gallo. You know, Joey Gallo, when it's once they made the trade last year, it made all the right sense. You know, it made perfect sense. They need a lefty power bat who could take advantage of the short porch. But sometimes these trades that make so much sense and uh, look great on paper, they just don't work out. And I'm sorry to say it because I'm a huge Gallo fan that uh, I've given up on him. I feel like he just needs a change of location. New York is just not the place for him. So if they could trade him for, you know, someone like Cole Calhoun, maybe Andrew Benatendi, um, I feel like that's just, you know, you can get what you can out of him because he's not really, his value is at an all-time low. So I think that needs to be a big priority for them and maybe get another starting pitcher. Yeah, I, I think getting another defensive outfielder is really something big. I like Taylor on the Royals. I think even someone uh, like Ben Attendee could work. But also, I'm not in a position from the Yankees to give up a lot of prospects. Gallo gives you gold glove defense, but he doesn't give you the ability to run down balls in center. I think that's what you need because I don't think playing judge in center is a long-term fix. I really love judge and right, and you can you know um, platoon Stanton in there when he's not a designated hitter. So I think that's best case scenario. I think Hickson left has been doing a good job. He's been turning around with that, you know, two weeks left in the season mark. So I, I think, you know, Hicks could still do a good job as maybe an in and out guy, but I just don't see Gallo as someone that can help you in the postseason, even with the arm he has, I, I just don't see it. And I would rather someone who has the legs to play center. So that's where I kind of lean with that move. Um, and I, listen, at the end of the day, the Yankees are in a great position. I know Severino being hurt, you know, kind of worries, but as long as he's healthy for the postseason, this is why you played so well at the start of the year to give yourself the breathing room. So you're able to, you know, be ready when the playoffs start and not have to worry about, you know, winning every game in September and um, in August. So I, I think that's the big thing with the Yankees. They're in a, such a comfortable position. They can wait and they can try to find the right guy for them and they can take their time with this decision and uh, they don't have to worry. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think – and when I look at the Yankees as well, I think they also have some options with Florio and Andujar in the minor league system where they can really, you know, if they don't get a deal done, they have guys who can play defensively in center field, Andujar to left field, and can still help the team. And when you expand that roster for the postseason, I think that's also definitely going to help them. So I don't think there's a panic to go out and get a guy right now, but if they do, a defensive center fielder, would, in my opinion, would be the perfect, uh, perfect player. But moving on from the Yankees, let's talk about the Mets who have done, you know, a really impressive job 
uh, I would say in the recent, you know, past couple of weeks before Liam to the all-star break to hold that division over the Braves. They had that key series in Atlanta, able to win that series, take two out of three. That was a monumental shift in the division. They hold a two and a half game lead over the Braves at 58 and 35. Their 58 wins are second in the national league. So they have the second best record in the national league. The third best record is the Atlanta Braves. Now this is a, a little tougher one. If you're, the Mets, what do you see out of them in the second half? I'll go to our Mets fan first. Uh, Anthony, what do you what do you think about this Mets team as we head into the second half? Are you confident they can keep this division lead, or are you just going to be satisfied if they can hold a wild-card spot? I think for the Mets, you need to win the division. You know, you can't be satisfied with the wild-card spot because this team has obvious flaws. You know, our DH situation is a mess. you got J.D. Davis, who has one of the, hard, one of the, one of the highest hard-hit percentages in the league, but everything he hits is a ground ball. You need to get rid of him. Dom Smith is one of the worst. Play- Dom Smith is one of the worst players in the league. Excuse me. And uh, you know you need an actual DH. Getting Soto would, of course, eliminate all those problems. But they've been in talks with uh, the Pirates' Daniel Vogelback, uh, maybe a guy like Trey Mancini, or even a Josh Bell kind of guy. Even though that's a pretty uh, pretty hefty deal. But another thing the Mets need is bullpen. You know, the Mets kind of didn't do anything in the bullpen last offseason, which I didn't like. You know, we got out of Vino, who's been, who's been solid. But, you know, other than Edwin Diaz, I don't really feel comfortable with anyone in that bullpen. I mean, you got Drew Smith, who had a great uh, start of the season, but uh, he's given up eight earned runs in his last nine innings. And then he got um, Seth Lugo. That's who I was trying. Seth Lugo's trash. He hasn't been good since 2019. You need relievers. You need bullpen. You can never have too much bullpen, in my opinion. So I feel like... You really need to go into that trade deadline heavy, looking for a bullpen piece, multiple bullpen pieces, and an actual DH who is, you know, competent. So the Mets have obvious flaws that they just need to fix if they really want to make a postseason run, make a World Series run this year. And I think it's possible. Uh, yeah, bouncing off that. I mean, I think they've done amazing up to this point. Obviously, we have the extremely hot Braille, uh, Braves on their tail. Um, but again, I think Anthony made some really good points there. I think um, their bullpen is definitely a little bit shallow right now. If they add some depth to it, get some uh, other arms in there. I don't, again, like you said, I don't really trust too many people um, in that bullpen other than with Diaz. I feel like he really carries it and adds pretty much all the depth, I feel, at that point. And then that same note, I feel like, again, you guys, you know, you need to get rid of JD. You need to replace that DH with someone. And I feel like that makes Soto a really desirable option for you guys, even more so than the Yankees at this point. So I feel like if you could shore up those two um, main areas, I think you guys would set, they would set themselves up for a really strong second half where they would, I feel like they could pull again ahead of the uh, Braves. Yeah, I, I think the Mets are in a good position. I think we all are kind of agreeing here. The bullpen is somewhere I think they need to get better at because we've seen that be the downfall of them in the past. And another power bat. I think that's, you know, that's just the big one for me. This is a Mets team that seems to lack power, in my opinion. You look at a guy like Pete Alonso, who's manufactured so many runs for them. He leads the National League in RBIs. And after that, the power seems to fall off. There's no one else on the team that has over 20 home runs. Well, Francisco Lindor's got 16 and second. Eduardo Escobar is third with 11 home runs, but those are the only three guys with above 10 home runs, Alonzo, Lindor, and Escobar. And there seems to be a bit of fall off with the power after that. And we look at a lot of these good teams in the MLB, they can hit for power and average. They have a good balance. And for me, I just don't feel like the Mets are having that balance right now. They hit really well for average, 
but they're just not consistent with the power bats. And that's why I think someone like Soto or maybe a Josh Bell, even who I mentioned earlier, who can really be that DH could be huge for them because right now the DH platoon of JD Davis and Dom Smith just doesn't seem to be working. And I think you really need to find, you know, that DH that can come in and be a consistent power bat. I think that's the biggest thing for the Mets right now. And then I guess I, I, this is the next place I want to bring it. If you're a Mets fan, are you satisfied with just making the playoffs or is it a must to win this NL East? It's a must to win the NL East. It's a must to make a deep playoff run for the Mets. I mean, we can be satisfied with a first-round exit, a second-round exit. We should at least make the NLCS because this is a win-now team. You know, you got DeGrom coming back. In, that post, in, in the postseason, having that rotation of DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, and maybe a Taiwan Walker, I don't, I don't see a team that's really stopping that if we have if we fill up those flaws, you know, get a DH, get, a, get some bullpen help. So I feel like, you know, this is a team built to win a World Series or built to make a deep playoff run at the least, and we shouldn't be satisfied with anything but that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think Mets fans are really hungry for a uh, win in any uh, column, and I think the NLCS is the only thing that's really going to uh, honestly, you know, uh, fulfill that. Um, and like you said, with Scherzer and DeGrom coming back, I mean, I pity any team that has to go up against that lineup, honestly. So I think they're honest. I think they're set up for a really good second half. And honestly, I could see them making it. Yeah, I think it, for me, the Mets have to get in at the very least. And that's what I'm kind of worried about right now. I know, you know, it, it seems like it's, you know, a division or bust situation, but you look at the division and you see the Braves two and a half games back. And then you look at the Phillies, who are about six games over 500, 49 and 43, eight and a half games back to the Mets. That's very doable. And I want, I don't, I'm okay. I think if I'm a Mets fan with the Braves leaping, but I just don't want to see the Phillies, but there's going to be a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. And I think that's going to do it for this episode of the nosebleeds. We talked a lot about the all-star break about Juan Soto, Aaron judge, Mets, the Yankees forecast for the second half of the season. It's been great having you guys tune in for this episode. Michael Calamari here with Anthony Bartarimo and Andrew Perneri. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great afternoon, everyone.